0: We're dealing with rape and seduction. And um, as much as each one of the matmonim is a standalone, uh, when we're dealing with issues as big as these and they work right through the we obviously we're not going to be able to treat the whole topic in, in 15 or 20 minutes. That's not going to happen. So each time we can just add another... Uh, stroke of, of of paint to the canvas as we as we build the picture and each time trying to understand something. So uh, I'm taking on this very complex and difficult and big topic of, of rape and seduction in the Torah uh, because it's foundational to the discussions here in the beginning of Ayla and Nairot, the new parikh that we're learning, um, and. We'll have many opportunities to talk about it. Today we'll just talk about a particular aspect of it. And really what we're dealing with is, as I've said in the, in the subtitle here, the, the terrorist consequence for rape seems trivial. Uh, when we look at what the, what, what the consequence is, certainly in terms of our society, um, it, it, seems, it seems trivial. And we're talking about the rape of a young girl uh, and the, the amount is relatively small. So let's look at the two, the two pieces of, of, of the two parashas in Chumash. The one is in Parashas Mishpatim, where we talk about seduction. After talking about what happens if a person seduces or, or rapes a woman who is betrothed, here yeah, we're talking about an unmarried young girl, uh, and he seduces her and has relations with her, he should uh, give her the amount of money that is involved in a ksuba and, and marry her. If her father doesn't allow her to marry him, she's still under her father's authority. And if the father says, no, she's not marrying this man, he still has to pay the amount that would normally be paid for for a ksuba, that, that amount he has to pay to her. So that's quite interesting because here we're talking about seduction. So she's she's party to it. It's voluntary here. This is not not a violent um, uh, relationship, uh, but it is with a young girl. We'll see in the in the Gemara Young. And um, but there's a fine even for seduction. There's there's a fine. In, in Pashas kitete we have the case of rape. So you would think if he has to pay the amount of iksuba for, for seduction, what would be for rape? So here you've got he forces her out in the field, she can't call for help, she can't she's helpless and they're found. they're, they're, they're witnesses.. The man who is the rapist should pay the father of the girl, Chambishim 50, kasef 50 coins of gold. Uh, I don't know exactly what the amount is today, but it's like, a, it's like $200. It's, it's nothing. Uh, he has a more severe punishment, maybe, and he shall marry the girl and not be allowed to divorce him ever. Uh, but the father can say, I don't want her to marry this man. Uh, then he is less to pay her the amount of a, of a, of a uh, So The, 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 the pasha is very difficult. So, so we need to develop an approach to understand something of, of what is going on. And the first thing we need to understand is described very simply and clearly by the Oruch HaShulchan in Kufay and Zion. So the first thing he says is If a person rapes or seduces, he pays 50 slaim. So it's the same fine for rape or seduction. Uh, It makes no difference if she's the daughter of the Prime Minister or the President, or she's a... A street girl that comes from nothing. The kol because knas is equal for everybody. This is not damages, this is a knas. And one of the differences between knas and damages is it doesn't vary. Knas is invariable. There's a fixed amount no matter who the, the uh, victim is. This is a, a knas, it's a fine for this terrible thing that he did. And just, just pause there for a moment and realize that, that what the Torah is teaching us here is the Torah doesn't see a huge difference between rape and seduction. They're both abuse of male power. The one is using physical force and the other is using emotional force. They're both manipulative. In our society, violence is the thing that is abhorrent, but every other form of manipulation is, is fine, that's Okay. You can manipulate in business, you can manipulate in politics, and you can manipulate in relationships. The Torah sees seduction and rape as very similar. They're both taking advantage of the girl. Particularly, we're talking about a very young girl. I don't think that there's nothing else to pay. Now you've got to also pay damages. Knas is not damages. And so on. And he says that that does, now it depends on who the girl is, what family she comes from, what social circle. She mixes in what her social status is. <laughs> the way you calculate it is how much would this family have paid for this not to have happened. That's how you, that's how you, that's how you calculate the, the damages that have been done. And again, in our society, you see that would be very variable. Well. So in our society, if God forbid a, a young girl was raped, the family would, have, would pay millions, anything, to have avoided that happening. So that would be the, pound, the amount that the man has to pay, whatever the family would have paid to avoid it. But if you say, what, what about uh, seduction? This man seduced your daughter. How much would you have paid for it not to have happened? In our society, they might well say, what do you mean? It's happened many times. Not the first time it's happened. Everybody, it happens with everybody. She's on the university campus. What do you expect? Then there would be nothing to pay. So that, that varies from society to society and from era to era. And in our society, rape is, 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 is viewed extremely negatively, rightly so. And seduction is kind of, the, it, it was voluntary. It was by consent. But the Torah doesn't see it that way. So the Yorah HaShuchan is explaining quite clearly, as so it's very clear in the Rambam, the Shuchan the Rishonim. it's very clear that, that there are two elements of the payment here. There's knas and there's, and there's nezek, the different types of damages, boshet, p'gam, shame, detraction of value, all those different things that have to be estimated. But this part, this, the knas piece is the part we're having difficulty with. Uh, because, because it's so small. Is that the punishment for rape, really? A few hundred dollars, that's the punishment for rape? Is that possible? That that's all the Torah gives the person? What does it really mean? And in order to understand, or to gain a bit of insight, I don't know that we're going to get to understanding it, but in order to gain a bit of insight, one has to understand also what the Torah is and what the Torah isn't, so to, so to say. So if you think of, of the Ramban in Parashas Kedoshim, the parasha, the Ramban says, if it weren't for the mitzvah of Kedoshim Tiyu, you shall be holy people, then we could have been the Valim Bereshut we could have been despicable individuals keeping halakha perfectly. That one mitzvah makes it impossible to do that. You could be as frum as frum can be, you could keep every paragraph of Shulchan Aruch. But if you're not keeping Kedoshim Tiyu, you could be a despicable person. Which means the mitzvahs themselves don't guarantee a society of decent people. That's not clearly not what the mitzvahs are for. Because then you wouldn't need Kedoshim to And you see that with the Ramban over and over again. With the uh, hayashar Yashar you do that which is straight and right. Says the Ramban, you can keep all the Mishpatim, you can follow all the laws of Chosh and Mishpat. But if you don't also have a sense of straightness. You, you're going to you're going to not be keeping the Torah, but that's because we have a, a, a mitzvah of v'hasita hayashar v'hatzov. The Ramban says about Shabbos, you can keep all the laws of Shabbos, and you're not keeping Shabbos because it's a mitzvah of tishbot. Make a, make a Shabbos, create a Shabbos atmosphere. And just by keeping all the dinim, you're not necessarily creating a Shabbos atmosphere. You've still got to go beyond that and put it all together in a way that creates a Shabbos atmosphere. We had a couple of days ago the idea of Tamim Tiyem Hashem kecha. The Ramban says that comes after we're already told you can't go to fortune tellers and you can't go to spiritualists and all that. And then we're told Tamim Tiyem Hashem kecha, meaning that you could keep all those laws and not go to fortune tellers and whatever, but you're still not living in that... That, that way of, of absence of self-interest and ego that we discussed the other day. That's You've got to go beyond. The mitzvahs themselves don't do that. There, there's additional pieces that have to do that. In other words, you can't expect the mitzvahs to manage society. We're supposed to do that ourselves. We've got to make Mishmatim, we've got to make laws. Every society has to make laws. And if we're finding that there are people going around raping girls, we've got to introduce punishments for that. We, can do, we, we have the right to legislate all sorts of things. The Chachomim have the right, and even the non-Jewish courts, of course, have the right. Not just the right, the obligation to legislate each according to its society and its time in ways that, that discourage, and if not totally prevent, crime. That's something we've got to do. That's not the Torah's job. The Torah's job is not to be the policeman and the legal system. Uh, we have that. The Torah is so much more than that. And unfortunately, we tend to, to, to denigrate the Torah into being a legal system or a religious system. It's not that. It's something much more. So what is the Torah? What the Torah is, is an enormous body of, of wisdom. And, and wisdom is too small a word to use that sits on the back of halakhic actions. The halakhic actions themselves, it's a little bit like, like you know, you might be sitting in the cockpit of a, a big 747 or, or one of these big Airbuses, hmm. and, and it's time to take off. And all that energy that is needed to get a plane off the ground and into the air, and what's the what's the pilot doing? What's the captain doing? He's sitting relaxed there, you know, maybe having a cup of coffee and he turns it on and he pulls some levers and it's, it's all very easy. It's not physically difficult. It's little actions. But those little actions are activating massive machinery with incredible impact and outcome. And he has to know which switch to switch and when to switch each switch. That's halakha. Halakha or the switches and levers. They're little, so to say, little in, in inverted commas, actions with incredible impact in, in the big universe out there and, and in Hashem's world. Enormous impact, but it's just little things that we have to do. In one of the Shulchan Aruch Shirim that, that, that I give, uh, we, we spent the hour on the, on the din of, of putting on your right shoe first and then your left shoe and tying your left shoe and then the right shoe. What unbelievable principles of philosophy, psychology, Uh, spirituality, Kabbalah, Halacha, just enormous mounds of it. What, What goes on the thought and the wisdom behind that little action of how you put on your shoes. That's the switch. It's just a little action of how you put on your shoes. But in doing that little action, we're meant to be cognizant of all of these massive wheels turning behind the scene. So that's why the Rambam says in Morinavuchim, it's not about the details of each halacha, that's not where you're going to find its meaning. And the major says, does Hashem care whether we shake the animal at the front of its neck or at the back of the neck? Does it make a big difference to Hashem? It's like saying, does it make a difference if I turn the switch this way or that way? It's, such a big, it's just a switch. It's just a switch, but turn it the wrong way and the plane crashes. Turn it at the wrong time, the plane crashes. It's just a switch. So it is with, with all of these halachot. So when we look at a halacha, we need to understand it's almost a symbolic action that carries with it a world of wisdom and thought and meaning and values that comes with it. And that's the part that's important. If we focus on the little action, it's like a pilot who has no idea what happens when he turns his switches and pulls his levers. He has no idea. How long is the plane going to fly with a pilot like that? He needs to know, yes, it's just little actions and it's not physically, uh, it's not physically engaging and absorbing, but look what, res- what results from these little actions. So we can't become obsessed with the little actions without understanding the context of the world in which those little actions are positioned and the impact and effect that those actions have in, in the world. So when we look at, uh, and, and that's why we need Vasita Yashavatov and Kadoshim Tiu—all these additional overarching mitzvahs that give us the general direction of how to be a mensh, of how to be a great human being. Because the details of the mitzvah alone won't do that unless you're fully absorbed in all the. Halachic meaning of the mitzvahs that one's keeping. And by halachic meaning, I don't just mean the technical halacha, I mean halacha with a capital H, with everything that goes into halacha, the Kabbalah and and everything that goes into the halacha. So if we understand it that way, then the punishment, the 50 shekel that the rapist has to pay, is not about compensation. That's a separate thing, you've got to compensate. It's not even about punishment. Because in a society, the courts of law have to make their own punishments for, for things like that. It's to teach a value. Teaching the value, and, and one can imagine, it's all we look at it now, when everybody's had the Torah for, for 3,000 years already, civilization has had access to the Torah, so there are lots of things that when the Torah introduced uh, were very radical, and of course today they're not, they're not so at all. The first thing is the Torah makes it very clear that rape and seduction are crimes, They're crimes of manipulation, of power, of abuse of power. Now, how much the Kness is, that doesn't make the difference. How much the Kness is is not as important as the fact that there is a Kness, the fact that that there is a fine. Um, Because that's the principle. What we're trying to understand in the principle is, is this a punishable offense? Has the person committed a crime? Because in in early days, until not that long ago, this wasn't much of a crime. That's what women were there for. So the first thing is to establish that there is nezik. You've got to pay all the damages, and that's got to be calculated, and that can be massive. But there's also a kness, It doesn't matter who this girl is and where she comes from. What you did was not okay. What you did was an abuse of power. And that has to be recorded in a fact. That has to be recorded in a symbolic gesture that makes it very clear who the aggressor is here and, and, and who the victim is here. And so if you then look at it, and I want to use just one piece of shitamu kubetzet to give us the, uh, uh, a deeper meaning of the inside. So the, the Mishnah talks about, these are the young girls that get knas. Rabbi Meir develops a principle, the halacha is not like Rabbi Meir, but, I, but from Rabbi Meir we learn an important principle. Rabbi Meir says, Koma kom mecher en knas. We're talking about the ages at which this fine applies. And the ages we're looking at is from three years old to 12, and from 12 to 12 and a half. Once she's 12 and a half, she's considered an adult. And the Rabbi Meir says, when you're looking at these age ranges, wherever her, husband, her father has the right to sell her into, servant, into servitude, there is no knas payable. Wherever there's knas payable, the father can't, can't sell her into servitude. So, so that determines the the, um, the the range. So from childhood until she's 12, the father can sell her, but she hasn't got kanas. Rabbi Meir holds. Once she's 12 to 12 and a half, the father can no longer sell her. She's now independent, but she gets kness So Rabbi Meir says there's an inverse relationship between kanas and mecha. The... Um, the Tosfis Yomtov. This is a Mishnah in in Perik in in Mishnah Ches. It's further on and Daaf Mem. We'll come to it. The Tosfis Yomtev says on that Mishnah that Rabbi Meir's statement is not giving any kind of reason. There's no principle in Rabbi Meir's statement. He's just saying if you if you want to know how it works, where there's Mecha, there's no Kness; where there's Kness, there's no Mecha. But there's no philosophy in that statement. The Shita Mukubetzis disagrees, and the Shita Mukubetsa says we've talked about the Shita Mukubetzis. So, question whether he's an early Akron or a late Rishon. I like to think of him as a late late Rishon. He was in the 16th century. Um, No, Rabbi Meir is giving the reason. The reason she doesn't get knas according to Rabbi Meir, there's no fine if she's under 12 years old, is not because it's not a crime and it's not an abuse of power. It's because she's not independent. Her father has the right to sell her into slavery, into servitude. Now, the Rambam makes it very clear. a Father can only sell a daughter into servitude if he doesn't have a cent for a piece of food and he can't support the girl. There's nothing for her to eat. And he's destitute. There's absolutely nothing. Then the way out of destitution for the girl is for her to work for a wealthy family where hopefully she might even marry into the family. So the whole idea of selling into servitude is something we need to understand. But the fact that the girl has no independence is why she has no uh, knas. She is potentially a shifcha. She could be sold without her without her permission. Her father could sell her as a shifcha for a short period of time. But, but he can do that. That means that she has the din of a shifcha, and a shifcha doesn't get knas. Where she does get knas, she has self-authority, she has independence, and therefore the abuse of power is a true abuse of power. So what the shita Kubetzid is introducing us here to, when you're looking at abuse of power, you've got to look at how much power did the person have before you abused with your power. If she had no power in any case, then you've done a terrible thing. There's no question about that. But, but it's not that abuse of power because she's has no power. Abuse of power is when you take somebody else's power away. But a young girl whose father has the right to sell her into slavery has no power. And again, we can go into, we'll have opportunities, I hope to go into this a, a, a lot more. But the idea of abuse of power meaning robbing another person of their independence power, of their autonomy, taking that away from somebody. Whether it's done by force through a rape in this case, or it's done by emotional manipulation through, through seduction, either way you've taken her independence away from her. And that's what the knas is for. But if she's according to Rabbi Meir, that's not the halakha, but according to Rabbi Meir, if she's under 12, then she doesn't have that independence to start with, and you haven't robbed her of anything doesn't mean that what you've done isn't terrible, and you've got to calculate damages, and you've got to pay the damages, large amounts of money, of course. But this particular KNAS isn't there. So if we look at the KNAS, what the KNAS is, it's a, it's a symbolic declaration that the person involved and important to notice, whether by rape or by seduction, that's the important part of this to notice, that the Torah doesn't differentiate. There's some halachot which are different, but not this one. If, if he has abused his power to rob the girl of her own autonomous power and independence, that's a criminal act. That's, that's what we have to know. How much are we going to punish him? The courts of law will establish in various different times. of the, But the first thing to establish is that's a criminal act. Even if she agreed to it, it's a criminal act. And and that's the area that a man has to be so aware of, the ease with which he can abuse power and, and take power away from others. And from that we learn not only in, in, in gender relationships, but in all situations of power. The, a boss with an employee, uh, a, a rich person with a poor person, uh, a, a powerful person in a relationship. Any individual that has power has to be so terribly careful that he's not using his position of power to rob others of their power, of their independence. Because doing so, we learn from this principle here, we see in the Shita Mukubetsu in Asugya, robbing another of their autonomy and power is in itself a criminal act.